The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast Tuesday morning. The draft is over. Free agency is 50-something hours away, and it's time to say the three most anticipated words in NBA podcasting. Dame's been traded. Wait, no. What up, Beck? <laughs> Howard Beck, how are you? <laughs> What's happening, Zach? That was, that's the greatest misdirection you've ever thrown at me. Phenomenal. I love it. Uh, I'm going to be literally on the edge of my seat. You can't see my seat. I'm just going to sit on the edge of my seat for the entirety of this podcast while we sit here talking about Dame Lillard and many other things while waiting for some clarity on Dame Lillard. Uh, our, our long national John Collins nightmare is over. Our long national Dame Lillard nightmare is seemingly just beginning. John Collins' long nightmare is over. More than any of us, John <laughs> Collins, although yeah. I'm not sure Utah was going to be number one on his destination list, uh, Atlanta was rapidly becoming bottom five. Uh, we have to start with Damian Lillard. This was supposed to be a five most intriguing off-season teams podcast, but number one is Portland, so we might as well start with Damian Lillard. I have already done the Scoot Henderson, stewardship of the Blazers, um, thread the needle, is that even possible dialogue enough times? Let's do the update. The update was that Dame and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, met with Blazers Brass uh, yesterday, and Joe Cronin, the GM of the Blazers, released a statement far and wide uh, that says the following. I met with Dame and Aaron Goodwin this afternoon. We had a great dialogue. We remain committed to building a winner around Dame. Unsaid is whether Dame remains committed to building a winner in Portland around Dame. And I don't think that's really an accident. I think if this ever got to the point where Damian Lillard wanted out of Portland and made it known internally that he wanted out of Portland explicitly, not I want out unless you do X, Y, and Z. I'm out. I'm done. Here are the teams I want to go to. I think he is uh, such a respected leader and has so much respect for the Blazers and so much hope for the Blazers with or without him over the next 10 years, so much invested in how that organization does that I don't think he'll ever make a public trade demand that limits their market in any way. I think even if he knows the two teams that he wants to go to, the three teams, the four teams, the one team, whatever it is, and we know Miami's number one, even if he knows that, and even if the Blazers know in the end they're going to accommodate him because he's Damian Lillard, the greatest Blazer in the history of the Blazers, unless you prefer Clyde Drexler, which frankly, open for debate. I don't really care right now. That's neither here nor there. Um, I, I think they would both try to at least gin up the illusion of a wider trade market. So I don't know what happened in the meeting yesterday. I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen next week. My best guess is that they're going to they're gonna try to show him in the next 72 hours, 96 hours, week, two weeks, whatever it is, here's our plan for threading the needle. Here's our plan for, yes, we just drafted another teenager, but we think the teenager we drafted is really good and ready to play now. We think the teenager we drafted last year is going to be awesome soon. We think Jeremy Grant's coming back. We think we can get somebody good with the mid-level. We think we can re-sign Matisse Thybul. We think we can do X, Y, and Z via trade and upgrade whatever position and our depth. And Jabari Walker's coming on. Here's our plan. See how we execute it. And let's revisit it. To be clear, 
I don't know if that's what's going to happen. If you told me on this podcast that Chris Haynes comes out and tweets, Damian Lillard wants out of Portland, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me Damian Lillard is on the Blazers in January, and this is a Kevin Durant in Brooklyn 2.0, where everyone puts it off and puts it off and puts it off, and then the Band-Aid gets ripped off when the Band-Aid's already fallen off and the whole thing is a disaster, wouldn't be surprised. Um, Howard Beck, how are you? What do you make of all this? <laughs> uh, doing well, thank you. Um, like everybody else who is paying attention to this league or people around the league, uh, my, my head is sort of spinning and I I get it. There's like this kind of weariness out there, uh, about the Lillard thing, even though this is really the first time, let's face it, that it's kind of come this close to coming to a head. I don't even want to say it's come to a head. It seems like the meeting yesterday, was it coming to a head? But then the statement from Joe Cronin after the meeting was kind of like, it's coming to, it's coming to a shoulder. It's coming it's to just, a chest. Sure, it hasn't reached yeah. the head. Whatever direction we go, we are, that's where it... we are. We are somewhere in the torso vicinity at this stage. Um, but Joe Cronin's statement seemed to be trying to convey the idea that, hey, you know, we're all on the same page. Us, Dame, his representation. We're all talking. We're all committed to each other. Everything's fine. Everybody g- go home. Uh, s- stop with your vigils. And your trade speculation, stand down on the trade machine. Like, it seemed like this was trying, to me, and I'm viewing this through the typical journalistic cynical prism. To me, Cronin's statement was trying to calm the waters so that they can do whatever they have to do next, which I still think inevitably is a trade of Damian Lillard. Like, I, I don't know if there was going to be a path, Zach, that was not going to trade Damian Lillard. Let me back up. There's three paths, right? We know what the three paths are. Build a contender to the best of your ability around Damian Lillard. And by, by contender, I just mean a team that has, I don't know, let's say a puncher's chance. You love that phrase. So I'm just going to say puncher's chance. Um, sacrifice some por- portion of your future and build a, an immediate, respectable, high-level playoff team around Dame. That's option one. Option two is, of course, trade Damian Lillard. Build around Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp, uh, Anthony Simons. And then there's a third option. Straddle two eras sit on the fence with a big wooden fence post stuck right up your, you know, where easy, but that's where they are. Zach, that is where they are. They have been sitting on a sharp prickly fence post with splinters for, I don't know how long. Um, I was thinking about all these choices and it it is unpleasant, but that's what they've done. Zach, they have chosen my chair. Now they have chosen the worst the most untenable of the three options, which is the, uh, we don't really want to trade Damian Lillard unless he asks for it and he's not going to ask for it. And we don't really want to trade our young players because we really think we're worried about what's going to happen once Damian Lillard's gone. So we're just going to straddle this thing. I know, let's do a two timelines plan. Oh, no, wait. A team down in the Bay Area that is a much better, more successful franchise and that's won four, four titles was trying that and has now more or less abandoned it. Because it's really, really hard to pull off, even when you have all the equity built up of having won titles. It's it, it's untenable. It is uncomfortable. I apologize for the uh, graphic nature of the imagery of fence posts in places, but that's where they are. Um, I don't. I, I was I was like noting like options and choices and whatever, and it just it just hit me. Because uh, I think I just watched this late one night recently of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in that last scene with the uh, the old knight who's been guarding 
the grail and after a uh, Nazi collaborator, archaeologist dude drinks from the wrong one. And he just says he chose poorly. They have chosen poorly. All right. Um, okay. First of all, up to this point. First of all, I still haven't seen the the Shia LaBeouf, Indiana Jones, and the Crystal Skull. Is it as bad I, as everyone I've, says? I have not seen that one nor the new one, so I'm I'm still I'm still in classic Indiana Jones mode. I have not attempted modern uh, remakes or or extensions. Sequels. So I I disagree with you. I don't think it's untenable, and I don't think it's impossible, and I don't think it's even irrational for them to try it. I I think all if your goal is build a championship contender. Every path is a losing path. Every path is a low odds path. I think their best possible chance of building a championship contender in the next medium term is definitely trading Damian Lillard and rebuilding. I think that's of all the paths, that's the most likely to to yield a true blue legitimate contender. If you're going to tell me that the thread the needle is the least likely of the three to build a legitimate contender, I think you're probably right. That's different than saying it's impossible and untenable because I do think, especially if they change those protections on the pick they owe the Bulls and open up a little trade flexibility, they have a pathway to being a pretty good Western Conference team. And by that, I mean re-sign Grant, make a trade that upgrades the roster somewhere, maybe center, maybe not. You wouldn't be surprised, I don't think, in the Western Conference next year if Portland is like a pretty good fifth seed that's... 2-2 2-2 in the second round against Denver because they got lucky and someone on Denver is injured and all of a sudden it's exciting and at that moment everyone will say, whoa, they chose wisely. They are actually pulling this off. Now, and, and I think part of that is if they actually do that and I'm not convinced they will and I'm not convinced they even want to, but if that's what they do, I think that's partly a wager on who are we scared of in the Western Conference other than Denver? Who, who, who are we actually frightened of? Who's on a trajectory of, of unvarnished excellence for the next two or three years? We trust Phoenix with this new big three and nothing. Well, Aiton, I guess. We trust the LA teams who are cobbling every year. Cobbling and the Lakers did a wonderful job of cobbling. Clippers are on my list of most intriguing offseason teams. They have some pretty big questions. We trust Memphis, Sacramento, New Orleans, Golden State. We trust any of those. Are we scared of any of them? Now, on the flip side... And why I think that's sort of a glass three quarters of the way full view of viewing the Western Conference. Man, you look at the West. Houston's not on my list of most intriguing offseason teams because I think we know what they're going to do. They're going to splurge. They're going to splurge on veterans. They just had a pretty good draft. They have a lot of good young players. They get an organizer in there. Let's say Fred Van Vliet. Not saying that's going to happen, but they get a real organizer in there that organizes their team. They get an anchor on defense who can at least prop them up a little bit, whoever that ends up being. They're not going to be bad. They're not going to be like they've been. The Spurs? Obviously, we know who the Spurs are getting, and that dude's going to be good right away. I don't know how good, but he's not going to walk in the door like a typical rookie. He's going to be good, and they have cap space, and they have a core of young players who are all improving, particularly if they bring back Trey Jones. You could go in the Western Conference next year and legitimately have all 15 teams either trying to win or on the upswing at the same time. Like there's going to be no easy outs next year in the Western Conference. No easy patsies if 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 the if the Rockets and the Spurs use their cap space correctly. Now, and and I think that kind of mitigates against the idea that yeah, maybe the West is open-ish after Denver, 
but it's also like you could be 12th pretty easily if things go if things go poorly for you and on on the even on the flippity flip of that if everyone is trying to win in the west next year obviously there's an opening for any team who would like to do what the wizards are doing and increase their chances of getting a top four pick in the draft. So I don't think it's untenable. I don't think it's impossible. I don't even think it's ridiculous for them to try it. Do you know what else I don't like about this whole this whole discussion, Howard Beck? Fence posts. Fence posts. No, that reminded me of ever of of a, the yearbook quote that people used of like one of my friends used this in high school. Just his whole year. You know how people in their yearbook quotes yeah. they put initials and they try and put like philosophizing quotes about life and what really matters. They shout out to my friends and. He just put the whole quote was never play leapfrog with a unicorn. That was the whole quote. <laughs> it's like that. That's a good senior quote. I like it. Um, shout out Ned Lanneman, who I believe lives in Portland now. Good yearbook quote. Good job, Ned. Two things I don't like about this. Okay. Number one, I'm real tired of the word should coming out of the mouth of pundits on television who have zero of their life invested in the Portland Trailblazers or Damian Lillard. Telling Damian Lillard, do you care about winning? Why don't you care about winning? You've got to get out of Portland. You know what? Damian Lillard can do whatever the f*** he wants because he scored 20,000 points almost in the NBA. He's had two playoff series winning walk-off shots. If he wants to try and win in Portland, let him try to win in Portland. Don't tell him what he should do. I don't tell you, Howard Beck, you should move out of Brooklyn. You should stop writing for GQ. Go on strike. I don't like that. And I don't like, and that this is the end, and I'll let you talk. I don't like the assumption in the media and among people around the league that there is a lack of sincerity on the part of both the Blazers and Damian Lillard, stemming from the idea that neither of them wants to be the bad guy. Now, I believe that neither of them wants to be the bad guy, and I believe that comes from sincere affection for the other party, not some uh, desire to control the optics, i.e. the Blazers secretly actually want to trade Damian Lillard, but they don't want to look bad. Damian Lillard secretly wants to light the organization on fire, but doesn't want to look bad. I'm sure there are members of the front office that actually do, if they had their druthers, would like to trigger a rebuild. But I think both parties are sincerely torn, loyal, and able to feel multiple things at once. So I don't like should, and I don't like the cynicism of, well, they both want to break up, but they just don't want to look bad. Maybe parts of them do want to break up. Parts of them do want to try to make it work. Like this is a real human drama here. It's not like, I don't know. It's not like just cold-hearted chess. By the way, I'm just now noticing that you're wearing a uh, Miami Heat, Miami Vice shirt, and it looks awesome. That's phenomenal. It's a nice shirt. Um, I'm with you on 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 pretty much all of that. And in the story I had for GQ Sports yesterday afternoon, you know, I had one of those blind quotes from somebody else in the league who was basically saying, like, nobody wants to be the bad guy. Then I had and talking to people for over the course of days for just and it wasn't a Dame Lillard specific story, it was broadly just kind of setting up the offseason, but it was every time it came to Dame and the Blazers and this seeming whatever stalemate standoff, limbo, you know, uh fences um the sense is yeah this like they're heading for a divorce but yeah it, it is kind of the no one wants to be the bad guy but it wasn't so much about optics it is it was it was more of i think a mix of what you're saying i think damian lillard i have always honored this and, and believed this in his sincerity 
of wanting to stick it out in Portland, stick it out is, is, is actually even too pejorative, of wanting to make it work in Portland, of wanting to stay there, of keeping faith in that franchise and of of liking and loving his place in that community, that city, that franchise's legacy, everything about it. And if he decides to stay there, Zach, as much as I have said, I don't think this is, is this is tenable. Um, if he decides he wants to stay and they make whatever moves they make, they don't make whatever... I'm fine with whatever. That, that's fine. It's their franchise and it's his career. It's not mine. I don't, I don't care. He doesn't care about winning. He's a loser. <laughs> I saw one specific rant about that yesterday and I, I almost smashed it. Damian Lillard has won more um, big stuff in life. Yeah. It, it's just so dumb. Than I could do in a hundred lifetimes. It, it It's so dumb. Listen, could I make the case, which I, I've probably made in some form, is it the most, is the most logical path if you want to win titles is there a better path somewhere else right now? Yes, I believe Damian Lillard, if he decided he wants out and he gets traded somewhere else, there are teams that would give him a better, more sensible, rational path to contention. There are no guarantees of titles in this league, as we know. But other teams have a better chance to put him in position, given that he's about to turn 33 in, I think, 18 days from now. Um, the clock is definitely ticking. And I think other teams are better positioned to give him a chance to, to go further in the playoffs than the Blazers are right now. That's just the, 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 the cold, hard facts of it. All right. But if he wants to stay, I, I have no problem with that. And if the, and if he wants to stay, even as some combination of, Hey, listen, I, I want you to do everything possible to try to win at the highest level while I'm still here. But in the meantime, it would also be meaningful to me in the twilight of my career to be a mentor to Scoot Henderson, to continue to be a mentor to Anthony Simons, if he's still on the roster and Shaden Sharp and, and like, that's fine too. And there, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to be quote unquote successful in this league and to have a legacy in this league. And they don't all involve collecting rings. Um, I love what Vince Carter did with the back half of his career, but I, I, I do think that Lillard has made it clear in various ways, subtly and not so subtly that there is an urgency that he does want to see them. Oh, he, he said it on the record. I don't want to have a youth movement around me. Yeah. And that, and so when I say untenable, they're doing the youth movement. They didn't trade the pick that became Shaden Sharp a year ago. They didn't trade the pick that became Scoot Henderson. Now they could still trade both of those people. Like it's, they could trade Shaden Sharp. They could trade the rights to Scoot Henderson. They could trade Anthony Simons. They could, they, you know, any given minute now, <laughs> they could make a hard left turn and it would change the entire discussion. But as of right now, it seems to me like there's just, they're stuck in this kind of limbo where it is a little bit of, of listen, I to your point about, how we're characterizing these two parties and sincerity and everything else. I don't think I have much doubt in my mind that if Damian Lillard goes to them today and says, you know what? I'm sorry. It's just, it's time. It's time. It's just not a trade demand. This is not a trade request. This is a discussion, but I think we need to work together on something that benefits you and benefits me. However you want to phrase that term that I think that would be a relief on some level to Blazers management. Not that they would relish the trading him away, but it would be a relief. I, I do think it lets you off the hook. You don't want your legacy to be the, the, the GM, GM who traded Shaq, the GM who traded Damian Lillard, the GM who traded Kevin Durant. The G- it's hard to be that person. It's hard to, to, to bear that. It, it comes with uh, a, a lot of baggage. It would let them off the hook if he just says it's time. And not because they need to be able to say to the public, well, we didn't want to trade him, but Damian demanded it. It, it, it wouldn't be that. But That, will, eat- that won't happen. No, that, but, that, there will not even- be that kind of... of- slinging of dirt no i don't believe so but even in a private conversation where he makes his uh wishes clear 
that gives them absolute clarity on their direction. They're no longer straddling and they can do it because they know this is in his best interest and what he thinks is in his best interest, which is the most important part of best interest, what Damien thinks of his own best interest. So I, I think it would let them off the hook. I think they would feel some relief at that. I, I the, the the most, I don't even say frustrating thing. I don't, again, in the end, I don't care. I'm just an observer. But I think the most frustrating thing in watching it from a distance is the lack of clarity. The teams that generally frustrate me the most are the ones I look at and go, I don't know what, what you're what you're doing, or if you even have a clear idea of what you're doing, you just seem to be meandering. And there are always a handful of franchises at any given period of time who are just kind of like grasping at straws or just kind of, you know, lurching toward this thing, then that thing, they don't have a clear set of convictions or values or direction. And those are the franchises that kind of drive me crazy sometimes. And it's felt like Portland has been in that, that kind of uh, philosophical limbo. I don't disagree with you that some portion of their brain trust or some portion of every individual's brain in the brain trust would feel relief. I also think they sincerely, another parts of their brain sincerely kind of like the theoretical slash not so theoretical anymore challenge of, can we actually do it? Can we actually thread the needle and, and build a winner around Dame? Like that's a fun front office challenge. If that meeting were to take, go ahead. No, can I just point out one other thing, though, I, before I lose this thread in my own head um, about the Western Conference? So even if we wrote off a couple of those teams, let's like say Houston doesn't figure it out this summer and they're still kind of bad and the, the Spurs kind of slow roll it around Victor Wembanyama, and they're not trying to go all in just yet. And they're, they're still going to be kind of bad. They are going to slow roll it. And you know what? Yeah. The slow roll might be OK. They might be pretty right. good. Um, but even if we're just talking about 12, 13 teams that are in it, I think it also can make the argument for not trying to thread the needle with with Damon keeping him there and trying to do basically a two timelines plan of sorts because I look at it through the reverse lens which is what are you Portland doing that's going to vault you past and granted you're right I how much do I trust the Kings how much do I trust the the, the Suns built around three guys with a massive amount of money how much do I trust the Clippers staying healthy how much do I trust like there's a lot of variables with all these staying teams. healthy we have to change the language from staying healthy to <laughs> getting, getting healthy. healthy about the Clippers. Fair. Um, there are a lot of variables with all of these teams that are ahead of Portland. But I look at it through the prism of if you're making some moves to try to be good right now around Dame and to pass all these teams, what are you getting that's definitively making you better than as flawed as they might be? The Lakers, as flawed as they might be, the Suns, as flawed as they might be, the, the Kings or the Grizzlies or who or the Clippers like. What are you doing that's actually vaulting you past all these teams? And I don't know that that path is that simple if you're not going to give up some pieces of your future because your best trade assets remain the guys that you insisted on drafting and keeping, Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson. So They're not I, trading I, those guys. They're not going to do it. Right, exactly. So I, and, how do you I improve this should. roster if you can't figure out, if, if you don't have the other assets to acquire better talent? So that goes back to a little discussed part of this, which is, I don't think people have kind of looked back at the CJ McCollum trade enough because mm. uh, they let they traded Nance in that trade, who's a player who's not healthy very often, but good when he's healthy. And they got Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander-Walker back. Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander have turned in to Chris Murray, essentially, who they just picked in the draft. And they picked Chris Murray because he's an older college player and he's ready to play now and they think he's going to be ready to play immediately. But you look at that starting five as it is now and you have... 
Dame and one or two of the young guards and Nurkic and Grant if they resign Grant. And there's a hole on the wing that is Josh Hart sized. And Josh Hart got off to a roaring start in Portland and then tailed off and stopped shooting threes and got the yips, got traded to the Knicks for a pick that ended up in the 20s, was awesome for the Knicks, so awesome that they're almost certainly going to bring him back on some kind of new deal. And like they would they would be a lot better if they had a veteran wing kind of like Josh Hart and that CJ McCollum trade I'm not saying it was like amazing for New Orleans or I don't know if it was amazing for either team but to to it's that that's an element that's not discussed now if that Damian Lillard meeting that you just described theoretically if he goes in and says it's time this is not a demand it's a discussion let's collaborate here's how I would envision that that meeting playing out you would normally think there would be a tweet from someone in the media close to Dame's camp who would tweet Dame's case and what he's demanding and the list of teams. And maybe that's what happens. I could see an alternate reality where they work so collaboratively together that they say, let's just not leak this to anybody. We want an open market. We want a frothy market. We want to help each other. I know where you want to go. I'm going to get you there. But let's mechanically do it in a way that best helps the Blazers, which is being quiet about it. Now, you can't be quiet about anything in the NBA. So then the way it leaks is that the teams that he wants to go to start to get contacted by the Blazers, by Dame's representatives. We know who those teams are. Miami, maybe Brooklyn, maybe some Cinderella teams that we're not talking about. And then they start to talk. And then it starts to get out almost kind of organically as the league gossip chain begins. Um, And look, we know like Miami, we know the Miami offer. It's hero some salary filler, two heat picks, maybe the kid they just drafted from UCLA or Jovic or something. Like, that's it's not amazing. It's not amazing. It's better than nothing. It's okay. The Nets would have a decision to make, which is how aggressively do we want to be, do we want to be in on this? How aggressively do we want to pair Dame and Bridges and Claxton and figure out what we have and figure out if we can get another guy because you're not trading Bridges or Claxton. If you're trading for Damian Lillard, you're keeping both of those guys. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole point, yeah. which means you're throwing, well, you're throwing Ben Simmons' salary into the trade, and and yes. you get his Instagram account as well. Um, <laughs> and does that and count against just, the cap? The Instagram account does that an extra no, cap? No, it's chart? actually it actually it it's. A Do you have to negative. send out extra second round picks for them to take on the Instagram account? I, I don't. Is know. Is that a negative asset? It comes with a T-shirt too, a tank top, something. Um, so then it's a matter of like, how many picks are we going to throw in? We have three Suns picks left. I think they have a Philly pick. They have two of their own picks they can put in. So how many is that? Six right off the, the bat? Did you count the Dallas pick? The, they have, I, no, I guess that one too. Um, the Dallas pick, that's seven. And the kid, they, they just drafted two rookies. So if you want to count one of those, that's kind of like eight picks. How much of that, are, they're not going to throw all that in, but how much of that are we willing to throw in? And then after that, it's it's kind of hard to find a team that makes sense, honestly. Like, it, it feels almost destined to be, if it ever comes to be, Miami and or Brooklyn decides to hell with it. Let's really go for it. But Miami being the leader in the clubhouse, you could make it. I mean, is there anyone else you want to make a case for? I mean, I, you can go through all the teams if you want. I haven't gone down that rabbit hole that far. I mean, I I kind of feel like there's an inevitability here if there's a trade discussion, collaboration, 
that it's probably those two teams it, it, that he ends up with one of the two. And the thing is the Nets are in the driver's seat because of everything you just listed, right? Like if, if the Blazers goal, which obviously it has to be is set themselves up as best as possible for the post Dame era. So get as many young assets picks as you can. The Nets have much more of that to offer than the heat do. Um, how much will the Blazers factor in Damien's own preferences? If he says, look, I'm good with either, but I far prefer Miami. How much do you do you honor that and potentially sacrifice some of the return? I, teams are not known for sacrificing much in terms of, of a return when you're trading a player of that caliber. You're, you're, you're the understanding is going to be if we do this, we need to get the best possible return within reason. We're not going to get the best possible return if it means sending you somewhere you absolutely don't want to go. But if you are fine with both of these teams and one of them clearly has a better array of, of assets to offer us, then we got to go with that that offer. And I think the Nets have a lot more just because of that. All those, the irony of, of this, right? The, the team that had sacrificed all of its draft picks uh, to get James Harden and now has one of the better arrays of, of, of draft assets to offer. Those Phoenix yeah. picks far out are... Yeah. As of today, valuable. I mean, yeah. in four years, they could look less valuable. We don't know. But right now, you have to look at them like, those are pretty good picks. Yeah. In the same way that people looked at the Nets picks that went to Houston as like, well, it's going to crash and burn eventually sooner than later. And those will be really good picks. Um, that may have changed if the Nets, you know, pull this off. So um, I, I hadn't I hadn't really, even in my own head, workshopped other teams. Did you have other places you, you thought about sending Dame for uh, 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 fabulous prizes? Not really. Uh, just to go super fast, people have pitched Philly. I don't see it, if, particularly mm. if Harden returns. I don't know if they have the pick equity. People have tried Boston. I, I personally don't love the Jalen Brown, Damian Lillard swap for either team. I think Boston yeah. is paying Jalen Brown the full boat or something close to it. And I don't think any of the other non-Jalen Brown offers, like I saw Kevin O'Connor wrote like Brogdon plus Robert Williams plus like all the Celtics picks that they can offer, which is I think three or four. I don't think that's getting it done. So I, I don't know. Um, anyway, that's that's the landscape as I see it. And at least one of these teams, Miami, who because of the age of their stars and what they've accomplished together, which is quite a hell of a lot, I think has to be in a holding pattern for at least the next like 96 hours or so to see if the Blazers to to see how kind of quick the timetable goes here how how long Dame actually gives the Blazers if this if this is a first week of July thing if it's a I I think at least Miami has to kind of just spin its wheels and they've got an outgoing free agent in Max Struess who's who's got a lot of interest as well. So I think that's I think that's my best shot at where we are. Yeah, and my last thought on this is just like the curiosities I have about what that meeting really was yesterday which we don't seem to have a, a whole lot of intel on so far. But I I wonder if I wonder how much of that meeting was listen. Maybe them actually laying it out, right? You you get curious about like how this actually the 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 mechanics of this. Did Joe Cronin and his staff actually lay out, listen, Dame, if you if you stay if you commit to us here are the moves that we are 80 percent sure we can make or here's some things that you know listen it's, it's a tampering league half the league already knows what they're doing three days from now right uh when free agency opens and and the trade uh you know winds start blowing harder and all that stuff did the blazers actually lay out here's what we are pretty sure we're getting done here's who's coming in to help you 
um, or or here's here are the possibilities that we think we're going to get at least one or two of these guys. Here's how we're going to leverage Jeremy Grant's free agency, or how we're getting him back, or here's how we're going to leverage. You know, here's here's what we think we can get if we trade Anthony Simons, whatever it may be. Um, I, I'm I'm really curious about that, and I and I am a, at least a little suspicious about Joe Cronin's public statement, which I feel like might be just trying to kind of calm the waters while they figure out next steps, because I don't know how much you actually can know for sure uh, on June 26th, yesterday when that meeting happened. Let's let's move on. And by the way, if people are tired of talking about Damian Lillard, that's the other thing I hear. Like, oh, I'm so tired of Damian Lillard. You're, you're tired of a guy who's unsure about what to do in late. Just don't, don't don't talk about it. You don't have no one is forcing you to talk or think about Damian Lillard. Think about the weather and the green grass and the sun outside and puppy dogs. Whatever you want to think about, like think about that instead. I like um, all those things. Think about the beer that's waiting for you in your fridge and you've been waiting all day to drink it. Think about whatever you want. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Okay, the assignment was pick your five most intriguing offseason teams. Let's just do it because I have a feeling the big, big, the trade that happened yesterday, the dump the Hawks taking a big old dump on Utah and Utah happily absorbing the dump. I think that will come up organically. Give me your most intriguing non-Portland offseason team. You were you were appalled at me talking about uh, fence posts sticking in places, and now you're talking about people taking dumps on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's my podcast. I can talk about whatever I want. Fair. It's, it is interesting you talked about a fence post on the low post. How about that? <laughs> The, if only that post were a little lower, it would be less less uh, uncomfortable. Give me a team, um, Beck. <laughs> sorry, I'm losing it. Um, how about your Sacramento Kings? Zach Perfect. Lowe. They're on my list. Why are they intriguing to you other than the fact that they opened $30 million in cap space on draft night by trading the number 24 pick and Rashawn Holmes to the Mavericks? I want to know how many people across NBA media and across NBA front offices in the landscape immediately were doing Brian Winhurst double fingers in the air 
at the I moment. Think, I think Brian Windhorst was doing the Brian Windhorst. <laughs> I didn't. I was. I was. I was uh, uh, roaming around the bowels of Barclays Center during the draft, so I did not. I I, I did not catch any actual on-air uh, Brian Windhorst performances, unfortunately. Um. Yeah. I mean, look, they opened up all that cap room to get somebody. Um. Are they chasing Grant Williams, Kyle Kuzma, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton? I don't get the Lopez one. I don't get the Lopez one either. Somebody else threw that out to me yesterday, and uh, I'm not sure I get that. But look, I mean, it, all that cap room also presumes that that Harrison Barnes walks, and this is an opportunity for them to do something. By the way, I also don't get the um, renegotiate uh uh, the the Sabonis contract that like you've got a rare opportunity in a rapidly contracting system where the the rules are going to make it very very difficult to do anything once you are over this line that line this apron that mitt oven mitt all this shit. and you need to take advantage of the cap room and the flexibility when you can using it to just make happy I, making your stars happy is is important but like that doesn't feel like the best use of the opportunity. So particularly a guy who just played an entire season almost with a broken thumb and then got stomped on in the playoffs and kept going and didn't play particularly well in the playoffs. So what if I told you Mr. Beck that there was an alternative solution? Did you want to hear one? How about an uh, is it does it involve uh acquiring OG Ananobi or somebody no. else with a big contract and no. use the cap room in creative ways? Toronto will be talked about later. Um so Sabonis so is we said about thirty million in room. That's ballpark where they are, plus or minus a bit player and a second round pick, whatever. Sabonis so makes twenty two next year, the last year of his contract. His max is around forty. So do the math. If you bump him all the way up to his max next year, eighteen of your thirty is gone, and effectively you're like at mid level exception level room, which is not very powerful. What if I told you that the Kings could go to Demontis Sabonis and say, How about we bump you from twenty two to thirty? We give you eight more. And off of 30, using the new 140% extension rules, which are going to come into effect whenever the collective bargaining gets, the agreement gets finished by whoever is writing the goddamn thing, um, off of that 30 number, we get you to your max next season and beyond. But this season, we still retain 20-something million dollars of room, 25, whatever it ends up being, 23, 22, 25, which, by the way, could be enough for us to bring back Trey Lyles because his cap hold is really, really small and go and get a $20 million player. If we have to move a small salary, maybe we have to do that. Maybe I don't know who that $20 million player is. I think that's a potential path for them. But I, I said last Friday, I'm kind of skeptical that of all the Draymond Green noise. I don't I, 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 I could. Sure. I, I'm sure they like the idea of spooking the Warriors, and I'm sure they Part of them likes the idea of like, is it is it worth exploring? We're a bad defensive team. He's the greatest defensive player of his generation. I just sort of doubt that that's their target. And if you get down to 20 using this alternative method I'm talking about, he's damn sure not your target because Draymond Green is not changing teams on a three-year, 60 million, four-year, $80 million deal. Draymond Green is extremely likely from everything I've heard to stay with the Warriors if they are in the ballpark, yeah. not the ballpark, if they're close to what others are offering Let's put it this way. The post-Chris Paul trade, the assumption around the league is Draymond's going back to the Warriors, and I agree yes. with that. Yes. So I don't know what Sack is up to, but that's just a path I would keep my eye on. Whether Sabonis is amenable to it, I don't know. But even though you're not getting your max immediately this coming season in that scenario, you're still getting 30-ish and then a whole gigantic bonanza of money beyond your wildest dreams in the next like four years after that. 
Yeah. And look, it, it, because he's not a free, but when a player's a free agent, you sometimes overpay because, well, well, I might lose my free agent if I don't overpay. And I've got the ability because of the way bird rights work and everything else, I can pay him more and I can give him more years, blah, blah, blah. When it's a renegotiation type of situation, which is what this is, you are, it's not the same kind of pressure. Like, I, I'm sure that his camp is probably applying at least a little bit of that. Like, oh, hey, you guys got some room to do this. We should do it now. It's not the same thing. Like, there no, there's no obligation to do that. Um, you you well, have I, to take I, advantage. I think he's got more leverage than that. Because you don't want me to get to free agency. Agreed. We just had the only successful year we've had in, like, yeah. a millennia. And you traded Tyrese Halliburton for me. I think he's got. I think he's got some leverage. I'm not saying he has none. I'm saying it's not quite the same pressure as if he were a pending free agent, um, or like right now, um, and and that's when you start doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. And it and but I like your solution, which is this window to improve the roster to help him win. Um, and and especially by the way, if you're getting a defensive-minded four who can take some of the pressure off of him defensively because he's not a, a de- defensive anchor, this is one of the interesting things. Like quick quick uh, side note on this literally four months ago like four months ago sloan conference february four months no march three months ago whatever i was having this discussion with a couple people there my 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 continuing curiosity and it was about the denver nuggets if if in this league usually you have uh you know a great defense is often built around a fierce rim protector of some sort how far can a team get that is built around an offensive-minded center nikola jokic um how can you how can you construct a sound defense? Can you construct a defense that's good enough to win you a championship? We now have an answer. Yes, you can. Sabonis is often referred to as whatever. Uh, I hate the the poor man's phraseology, but like you know, discount uh, discount Jokic, whatever you want to call him. Um, the Kings have a similar challenge right now. As long as Sabonis is their center and he's not a rim protector and he's not a, a defensive anchor and you and you don't construct an entire defensive scheme around him, you have to find other paths. And what the Nuggets did very smartly was they got a Contavious Caldwell-Pope and an Aaron Gordon and they got all these other... So the Kings now have this, this opportunity with this cap room to figure out something along those lines. And, 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 and that opportunity might not be there again for a, a while. You know what um, else would help them uh, imitate the Denver Nuggets' path to championship glory? Trading for Nikola Jokic. Yeah, if, if Demontis Sabonis became the best player in the NBA instead of like a well, so a, that's, a nice All Star player, right? Which so is right. which is like so th- if if I became eight feet tall, I'd be really good at basketball. <laughs> so it's but it's a, that's what I'm saying though is it's a much it's it's an even steeper climb, right? It's one thing to pull that off with. You know, middle of the pack. Actually, it was better than middle of the pack defense. By the end of the year, they were they were they were pretty respectable defense. But I don't think they were top ten. So it's one thing for you to be able to do that with this elite, transformational, generational offensive talent in, in Jokic. It's another thing for the Kings to try to pull that off with Sabonis, who is not Jokic. But it is the the outline of the challenge of, of building the sound defense without having that defensive anchor in the middle. Is is at least similar. They have an opportunity here to shore it up, and that helps Sabonis too. So that should be factored in. Um, did I have any other notes on the Kings? I think that was pretty much it. Oh, the other thing, my other thought was just simply this: like it was great, light the beam, celebratory season, breakthrough season. They deserved every ounce of joy and uh, and excitement that they got out of it. But these things, 
don't necessarily, we sometimes think, well, you've arrived. You just keep going. It, it doesn't work that way because the whole league is working furiously to try to improve themselves too. There's scenarios here where when you look across the West and the Suns should be better, much better than they were last year. And they're, and they're, they were better than their record by the time the playoffs arrived. We had talked about that before. The Lakers were better than their record by the time the playoffs arrived. They made it the conference finals. The Warriors were better than their record suggested, but, and the Clippers might someday get healthy. All of these teams in their best case scenarios could leapfrog the Kings. And so the Kings could stand, if the Kings just stay in place and just count on, and I don't think they are, but if they were just counting on the idea that we're just going to keep improving, we're just, you know, we broke through and we're here, we're here to stay. It won't work that way. They could easily sink a few spots in the standings because of what's going on around them. And so they do have to be aggressive right now. Good news for Kings fans. Their front office will not operate that way. And I agree. Everything I said about the West vis-a-vis the Blazers, the volatility of it, the opportunism at the top and the, the the stacked nature of the middle and the bottom applies also to the Kings, even though they're in a better position uh, than the Blazers. Give me another team on your list. Oh, we already, I mean, I, I feel like we've already touched on this team, so we might as well just, just finish off the conversation on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I've, I've been fascinated by them ever since they made the two trades because I think they did much better than anybody could have anticipated when they're, you know, gun to the head having to trade two stars in the middle of the season within, you know, hours of each other, a couple days of each other. Um, I'm fascinated. Damian Lillard aside, let's say that Damian Lillard stays with Portland. I just am curious how the Nets handle this moment. So you don't have your own picks. There's no incentive to tank. Got it. Okay. You have Mikhail Bridges, who was playing at an outstanding level after he arrived. How much of that is sustainable? And, and, and is he a guy you could build around, or is he more of a 1B to a to a yet-to-be-identified 1A? I assume they're going to go all out to re-sign Cam Johnson. They've got Nick Claxton. Is that your new core? Those three guys, are you... And if you're not trading for Dame, either because he's not being traded or you couldn't get him, are, can, are you slow rolling this one? Are you just looking to be opportunistic? Or do you feel like in the wake of the kind of humiliation of this last few years of all that they went through and all the drama and all the angst of the Durant Kyrie era and and just the the inability to, to cash in on any of that. And by the way, I just want to note it one more. I'm just going to note it every time I ever say this. They're the only team in the, my 26 years of covering the NBA who voluntarily, sort of voluntarily, blew up a plausible contender, even though I didn't think they really could win a championship. They blew up a plausible contender at midseason. That doesn't happen. So are they feeling the pressure to be very, very good immediately and acting on on that and using a lot of these draft assets and players? They've got all these 3 and D wings. They've got a lot of interesting stuff. I'm just really curious to see philosophically how where they land. Is this a time to immediately try to kickstart a new era? Because they could also, by the way, they could flip Mikhail Bridges. They could trade him for more ooh, stuff. And I, I, I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying there are there are they have every possible road available here because of of all those picks they acquired and because they have a bunch of interesting players and they're not good enough if they just rolled it back like they they only made the playoffs because of of the cushion that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving left them with. So I don't think you like again you're not standing pat, but I am curious like which of the various paths they take um especially if Dame is not available to them. Yeah, I don't think they trade bridges for picks um, and go go further to the bottom. There is a certain poetry in the best case scenario for the Stan Pat Nets of the next season is to kind of be the feel good, plucky, superstarless team that they were before yeah. they upended their previous version of that team yeah. to build the cluster that they built and exploded. Yeah. Um, 
I think there are just certain guys where if they become available, you try to get them. And maybe Dame is one. They have to decide if that's the case. If Philly ever went sideways and it, it doesn't look like they are going to go sideways in the near term, Embiid is one of those guys. Um, would Carl Anthony Towns be one of those guys for them if if the Wolves decide having paid half a billion dollars to three centers now that Nas Reed is there on a great contract. I like the Nas Reed deal for them. I like it for the organization. I love it for Nas Reed. He's a really good player. That's what really good third big men make. They're if, if that's the pivot they end up making, is that one of the guys you go out for? I actually don't know if the Nets would do that. Um, but I think I think slow rolling it is okay because those picks aren't burning a hole in your pocket. You're going to have them for a while. There's going to be other guys that come around. I think Brooklyn is a place that players are going to, it's not LA, but I think it's become a place where people realize, Oh, I can live in the city. That's kind of cool. Like the practice facilities right there. Like, I think that's a, it's, it's a real, it's a real place. Um, I do think they're going to need to save some money because Cam Johnson's going to, going to have suitors and he's going to cost a lot and they're going to want to keep him. So I think, you know, they've been asking a lot for Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith, like picks upon picks, um, maybe one for Royce O'Neal and one and something for Finney-Smith, whatever the price ends up. I could see that demand coming down and like a cost-cutting move happening, even a small one. Like I like the Royce O'Neal over Jetty Osman is a trade that I think makes a lot of sense for both teams with, with probably Cleveland giving a few seconds if they have any left. I think they do um, for for an upgrade at the wing, but... That's the Nets. Give me your next team. Um, can't avoid it, and it's related. The Mavericks. Um, I don't want to talk about the Mavericks next. <laughs> I don't. Why are they interesting? Yeah. Sell me on why they're interesting. I mean, they they have Kyrie. They're, they're, they're probably yeah. going to bring him back. They they made they had a great draft night. I thought yeah. and and picked up some guys who fit. Uh, they clearly are going to look around for the, more upgrades in the Luca time. The clock yeah. is ticking. Why else? They're they're interesting because the Luca clock is ticking, and because they made an all in trade for Kyrie, and now they're now they got to keep him. And I don't see where their other paths are to immediate improvement. They are under the gun. The clock is ticking. You never know when the next Kyrie landmine is going to be detonated. Um, but they have no choice but to keep him. Not that he has much of a market, or if any, anyway. Uh, but Luca's one of the best players in the league, Zach. That's that's enough for them to be interesting. Luca's one of the best players in the league, and there's at least should be some concern that his, his patience could run out. I, I don't see how you get around that. Why, why wouldn't he be worried about where they are right now? I have Mavericks. I have Mavericks fatigue next. <laughs> That's fair. That's you just lectured all the people who had uh, a Dame speculation fatigue on the basis that Dame is I a really I important guess I, player. I, I just like, I, I don't, I just, it's fine. I don't have an appetite for it right now. Give me got, your next team. I got you. That's totally fair. Um, the only other one I had on my list, because uh, the Blazers were on the list initially from the original assignment before I realized we were going to end up going uh, so deep on Dame today. Um, the Phoenix Suns. Okay. So I, I, I listened to your pod, and maybe it's been a couple of them, that you've discussed the, the, the Beal deal since it happened. And I think you're more bullish- Sunish, if you're not the Bulls, do you have to have a different uh, stand-in for that? Um, uh, you are brighter on the Suns' future. <laughs> this is awful. I'm sorry. Really bad. Really I apologize. Just awful. You. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, man. I've been punchy from the beginning. It all. It's. I, I went. It, it. It all went sideways after the fence post. Um, they. They don't have draft picks forever and ever and ever. They may never have draft picks again. 
Um, they're, they're, they're now, once this all goes away, it's, they're going to be, we're going to have to label them as the most hopeless team in the NBA, the way that, that the Nets once were after the Pierce Garnett thing crashed and they had no picks and no, no talent and no cap room. Boy, that is um, not even glass half empty. You just threw the glass on the floor and smashed it to pieces. Can you let them try to win for a couple of years first? I'm just saying, eventually, I'm just saying, you know, there, there's, listen, we've seen this play before and I don't mean just the Nets. We've seen teams like kind of rashly go all in on questionably fitting stars who are paid a bazillion dollars. I I just, of all the times to, to take on, to go this route, this model, this seems like the worst possible time to do it given what's coming in this CBA and all the restrictions and how difficult it would be. And I didn't, you know, you know this because we talked, I think after the Durant acquisition sometime earlier in the season where I said like, I'm not sold. I I kept saying, I don't think they're the favorite immediately. They're a favorite because I was concerned about, all right, how do they rebuild their bench and their defense and everything else? And they picked up some guys off the buyout market and everything else. But then the playoffs came and that supporting cast looked terrible. They've now, they've traded Chris Paul, but they have not traded Aiton. I kept waiting to see, are they going to, are they going to cash out Aiton for multiple pieces to help replenish some of the, the depth? Easier said than done. Doesn't look like they're going that route. Looks like they're keeping Aiton at least for now. Um, how do you how do you pull this? Out? Like I, I'm fascinated by this because of the lack of levers to pull and tools to use to build a sound team around Durant, Booker, and Beal. And when you factor in the volatility, meaning the health of at least two of those guys, I'm fascinated to see how they how they do this. On top of all that, I I don't want to go too far with this, but I it feels to me like there's a fairly muddled uh front office decision making lots of cooks in the kitchen situation going on there isaiah isaiah's back um and and by the way who who has that track record of just saying screw the salary cap we're just going to acquire every big contract no matter how bad it might seem We, we we know who's done this before I don't want to talk too much about the Suns because, like you said, I've talked a lot of them about yeah. uh, a lot about them since the Beal trade. I think I just think they're going to be really good if they're healthy. And yeah, the depth will be an issue. Look for them to re-sign all their bird right guys yeah. and at tradable at, at prices that are precisely if they all want to stay. If they all want to stay. If they all want to stay. Well, if they're paid well enough, they're all going to stay. <laughs> um, and I, if they're healthy, applies to any team. If those four dudes are healthy, and I'm counting Aiton because I don't think they're trading Aiton right now, and I think they could use a center who's I, I I think Aiton is I think Aiton is better than his reputation and I know his reputation right now is at its lowest ever point I just think they're going to be good passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits LED headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style eBay Motors has you covered With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call 
or click Granger.com or just stop by. I'm going to give you some teams on my yeah. list. You can pick one, okay? Fire away. The Milwaukee Bucks with Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez heading into free agency and Giannis up for a Supermax uh, again not far from now. The Chicago Bulls with decisions to make on the following players, non-trade decisions. So leave aside the Zach Levine noise that has been bubbling. Io DeSumno, Patrick Williams, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, Patrick Beverly, and Kobe White. Resign all those guys or extend in DeRozan's case. You're up over 180 to 185 million over the second apron next season for a team that, by the way, Am I allowed to throw up on this podcast? <laughs> I know that um, Arturis Karnaschovas has to speak publicly and praise his own players, in this case, a free agent in Vucevic. And when he speaks publicly, is talking not only to the media, but to his fans, the Bulls fans, to Bulls ownership, to Vuce. But that statement that he made the other day about how he thinks the Vucevic trade worked out well for the Bulls is an all-timer. I mean, an absolute all-timer. Uh, spoiler alert, it went badly. It's, it's not, it, it did not work out well. Um, it is Ishtar of trades. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good. Um, Go Google it, kids. Look it up. It, it's not good. I-S-H-T-A-R. And the Lonzo thing, which is just really, really sad that yeah. they expect him to be out the whole next season because, as I've said many times before, I will never forget watching that team fully formed in November of their first season together in Staples. What was then Staples, I think. Blow the doors off the Lakers. Running, prancing, Lonzo shooting threes, hitting ahead, fast breaks, just a fast athletic machine. He tied them together and gave them an identity. And without him, they just don't. They it's just kind of like, ah, oh, Demar, you should have been Ranger. Okay, Zach, your turn to run a pick and roll. Oh, it's a Vooch post up. It's just so sloggy, like an attractive sloggy, because those guys are still fun to watch. But there's just no cohesive principle to like what they are as a team. So that's one. Toronto, obvious. I mean, they've got Siakam on an expiring, and Anobi on an expiring. Pirtles in free agency. Van Vliet's in free agency. If they re-sign all those guys, they're right where the Bulls are in 24-25 at $180, $185 million for a team that didn't make the playoffs last year. Um, pick one of those teams. I also have Indiana and Orlando because I just I can't I can't resist either one. Uh I think I feel about the Bulls the way that you you felt about some of the, the, the teams on my list that you just have no use to to talk about anymore. Like I, the Bulls, they're Remember what I was saying earlier about like I, I want to see a team that has some conviction. Like there's some principles they have. There's a it's a clear direction. You know exactly what they're about, whether it works or doesn't. The problem with the Bulls is that exactly what they were about was let's be the eighth seed, and they haven't even managed to do that in a lot of these years since the Vooch trade. I never liked this all in to be in the middle thing, and and that was the thing. They pursued a plan that had a hard ceiling on it, and we can say, well, if Lonzo had only stayed healthy, and if Caruso, that other that one season, had stayed healthy, fine, sure. There's a there's a certainly a, a better version of this if Lonzo's around, but not by a lot, I don't think. I mean, it was never going to put them up in Boston, Milwaukee, Philly territory, or necessarily this season, even in Cleveland and New York territory. Like I, it, it just felt very uncreative, uninspired. It was a it was a a, a lurch. To the middle, it was it was a a plan designed 
with the only conviction being we need to be relevant again. And we're locking into a bunch of players who are going to get us to be just good enough to be okay. I, I, I just, and it doesn't, and, and to your point about if they're resigning everybody, now they're paying a bazillion dollars just to be stuck in that same place. Cause I don't, I don't see where the upside is here, at least with Toronto, you still have the upside of Scotty Barnes and you still have, you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe the Ananobi leap is, is still coming and, and you have all these other. Don't laugh at me and my hope for the Ananobi leap. <laughs> I just, it, I, I, I may or may not have been referencing you. Um, no, but, but you've, you've, you've mentioned this and I do think like that's when you have a team with young talent and you're locking in, okay, at least you have the belief and hope that your young guys have another level to get to. There is no new level for Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan or a re-signed Nikola Vucevic at this point. There just isn't. Is there a modern Ishtar? Is it Gili? What was the name of the J-Lo? Yeah, that was the Ben Affleck movie. Yeah. Even that's already like 20 years ago now. Ishtar is like... 40 right, or so like well now i don't go to the movies anymore so i don't know and then the, the pandemic disrupted movies is there like a historic bust of a movie in the last 10 years there must be there must be what the guy who played tim riggins taylor kitsch i think his name is who i absolutely love tim riggins um we just started watching this about two oh, weeks ago you're for in the first for a time treat. you're in for a treat yeah, it's much more soap opera-ish than i thought it would be uh i hope you're not using that as a dirty word and if you disparage Either Kyle uh, Kyle Chandler or Connie Britton on this podcast. You I love Connie Britton. You I will, will be hashtag banned from this podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't dream of it. Coach and Tammy. <laughs> Tammy Taylor. I bet you call him coach. I bet if you saw Kyle Chandler in real life, you would call him coach. I, I, maybe I would. I don't know. If I saw if I saw anyone, from, if I saw Matt Saracen walking down the street, I would be starstruck by Zach Guilford, I think his name is. Awesome. Minka yeah. Kelly. The whole cast. Anyway, how the hell did we talk about this? Oh, <laughs> he had a movie. He was going to be the next big thing, and he had like a uh, superhero movie that busted out. Um, look, I feel the, the Bulls, I, I'm sure, I know, I've heard they're hoping to get Vucevic back at a deal that won't make their fans vomit. Like three for 55, three for 63 for 65. You cannot double down on Vuce, DeRozan, Levine. No. And put yourself in jail with this team going forward. Similarly, another team on my list that I will not belabor, I just keep saying this, the biggest subplot in the NBA that not enough people are talking about is Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers being extension eligible in Kawhi's case in July, I think in Paul George's case in September. Because I just don't think, based on what I've heard, that if those guys walk in the door, and as for four-year max extensions, I don't think the Clippers are just giving them to them. I don't think so. And either. I think there may be, like, maybe on one or both. I mean, Kawhi is a, a black box. I have no idea what's going on with Kawhi. Maybe in some quarters, there would be a willingness to to recognize the reality that we don't play enough for this. And there is negotiating wiggle room. But sometimes with stars, there isn't. Sometimes with stars, you offend them by daring to negotiate. And if that's the case, then there's another wild card in the market as soon as next week. Because if you know, like, this is not an unknown to the powers that be in Los Angeles or with those representing those players. This is not an unknown playing field. So I just, that's another one where they're a level above the Bulls, obviously, but. 
I, I just don't think you can lock in eight combined years to those guys. I definitely would not lock in to those two guys. Um, and I, I, it is, it is interesting to think about like what kind of pressure their, their camps will, um, will put on the Clippers because I, you know, you don't want things to get uncomfortable, right? You are trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to hold this together just long enough to see if they get and stay healthy long enough. Maybe we finally get the payoff that we thought we were getting in 2019 when we went all, all out to acquire them in the first place. And so in the meantime, you do you don't necessarily want to start pissing each other off and, and creating other kinds of tension. I think the tension's already there, though, on some level. I, I Every time I've talked to people around the league about the Clippers, the the one consistent thing is, is the frustration level that has has just been boiling over over the last couple of years, whether it's the coaches, uh, coaching staff. and All you need to do is watch Ty Lue's press conferences after oh, games. Yeah. Oh, no, he's he's and that's why there was so much speculation. How how often has there been speculation about a coach who was not a free agent about all these other teams that might get a co- it, it's for a reason, because Ty Lue has made it very clear uh, publicly and, and privately. This is not. You know this 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 is this is driving him crazy. I think the whole organization's kind of good, like at that point right now, and so I rode the aggregation roller coaster recently. Zach, that was uh, not a pleasant experience. Heading into the draft, I had been I was pretty confident in the idea that Paul George was available, and that's not breaking news. I had said that a few weeks ago on a, on a Locked On Clippers podcast, and other people have been writing and, and tweeting about Paul George for the last couple of weeks. This is not exclusive information, but I had mentioned. Something about it, I think, on like a podcast I did on like Friday morning. So this is now after the draft. Um, that afternoon, I had a new round of conversations with people around the league who were telling me at that point, because I was I was working on this new story for GQ. And I got the sense that, no, they're at this point, they're now kind of deciding they're just going to they're just going to roll it back. They're going to see how it goes. Um, they're, they're, they're not, you know, yes, they they, they they thought about a Paul George for uh, um I guess it, I think that was a Paul George for Scoot pick, right? It was it was going to be something along those lines. Paul George, which I kept saying, Portland. Portland would never yeah. do. Portland's right. not doing. So there that. was, but there was at least on the Clippers side some discussion of of that kind of maneuver, right? Um, by Friday morning, I I was I, as I'm making this round of calls, I'm hearing, yeah, no, they're probably not going that direction now. Okay, by Saturday, one of the aggregators had clipped just the one quote I had on whichever podcast I had done on Friday morning before I'd had those calls, saying. Howard Beck says Paul George is on the market. He's very available, blah, 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 blah. So by the time that that the aggregators throw that out there on Saturday, I already have new information that's negating that. It, it's just a, such a weird time that we're in, Zach, where like part of this is us, right? We are we are putting out the information and the root and the 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 speculation, the scuttlebutt as soon as as we hear it often. And by the time the aggregation machine goes to work, that stuff could be out of date. So anyway, I all that said, having heard both ends of this within the last few weeks, Paul George is available. Paul George is no longer available. To your point, I, I think, I, like, I'd be shocked if they were, like, firmly deciding we are not moving either of these guys. If if, if an opportunity arises as the offseason unfolds, starting Friday with free agency opening, it will not surprise me in the least if they decided to move off of one of those guys. It would, and just, it would surprise me a little bit just because I'm not – I don't know if Paul George was available. I really don't. I, my reporting is muddled on that, to say the least. Because um, there's available in theory and actually available, and there's a big difference between the two, and I don't know where that landed, if at all. I also just like, 
I don't know how any team trades a boatload of real stuff for Kawhi Leonard. Like, I just don't know. Paul George has a bunch of, like, kind of random, unconnected injuries, a shoulder here, whatever. The Kawhi stuff is just seems to be building up of lower body injuries that never stop. I'd be afraid. I I just don't know. And he is so unknowable in terms of how he, how and when he plays. And I I just don't, I don't know how um, they trade him. Can we talk about Toronto for a sec? Yeah. So I mentioned Van Vliet. He's obviously an unrestricted free agent. I love the idea of him going to Utah. Uh, Utah still has, Utah, depending on what happens with Jordan Clarkson and Taylor Horton Tucker, who have player options, um, could have a lot of cap space. And I like the idea of an organizer going there. I don't think there's a huge amount of interest in Fred Van Vliet from Utah, and that hasn't really been rumored. I I haven't got the sense that that's going to be a thing, but I I like that idea because I think the Jazz could be I like the John Collins trade for the Jazz. It's just as a pure talent play. I, the contract doesn't intimidate me. I know they have two big guys in Lowry Market and Walker Kessler. Fine, you figure that out. It's a talent play. It's nice. It's free. Free money. Um, if Fred Van v leaves, I don't know what Toronto's solution is at, at for like how are we running an, a functional NBA offense, which, by the way, we kind of barely do anyway, despite the fact that we have all these big-name guys. Is Scotty Barnes really ready to be a full-time point forward? Is Pascal Siakam just going to like dribble into post-ups 100 times a game and figure it out from there, which he's fine at that. It's not really a functional NBA offense. That's a wild card to me. And I don't know about you. The Jakob Pertle stuff is very strange to me. I, I There's so much buzz around the league right now that, oh, is Toronto like not actually re-signing Pertle? Is he like gettable for like someone even mentioned like wouldn't it be funny if the spurs signed pearl in free agency so we like traded for a raptors pick and got the guy back as of right now june 27th i expect yaka pearl to go back to toronto i think this is noise i don't know exactly why the noise is happening i would be a little surprised if he doesn't go back to toronto but there is just i know everyone is tired of talking about the raptors but the calendar alone the timetable of these contracts alone introduces so much volatility here because Siakam, this is the last year of his contract. If he stays in Toronto and makes an all-NBA team, he could be eligible for the Supermax again. He barely missed this year. As it is, he's eligible for a mammoth extension that if they offered it to him, I think he would sign it. OG Ananobi has a player option for 24-25. He's turning that down. He's not going to take that. We all know that. So he's an expiring contract. They're just like all... Gary Trent just picked up his option. I think there's an extension coming on the back of that. There's just so much volatility here. I don't know what direction they want to go to. To me, the guy that I keep coming back to is Siakam because the number on his salary is just going to be so huge that if you don't think he's that guy and if you don't think... In the next two to three years, we're going to be going to a place as a team that justifies that outlay of money. And if we don't bring back Fred Van Vliet, it's hard to see how we get there. It just feels too... This is not reporting. This is just logic, common sense. It just feels logical that that would be the the card to see what you can get something for. And I know there's been a lot of Atlanta noise with Siakam. I think there's some legitimacy to that. But putting... Trey Young plus DeJounte Murray plus Pascal Siakam, like that's that's three dudes that are going to be making like 
beyond the salary cap when you combine them all on their next deal. So I don't, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of volatility with Toronto, and they have a new coach. Why isn't Orlando a Fred Van Vliet team? You know, they could be, and Orlando is on my list because I cannot resist the Orlando Magic a- ever. Um, if they, if, by the way, did little, little notice that the cap and the tax bumped up by like a non-trivial amount mm-hmm. for next season. If they, they can keep, if they keep Isaac and they keep Fultz, but they waive Gary Harris, who has nothing guaranteed, they could have $30 million in cap room. And you look at them and they're like, well, Fultz is actually pretty good. Wagner's awesome. Bancaro is awesome. Carter's good. I guess they could use another starting level guard, right? I may be forgetting someone. I mean, they just drafted Jet Howard and Anthony Black, so maybe those, maybe one of those is a solution. Although we'll see. Are they under? Oh, Jalen Suggs. I forgot about Jalen Suggs. They have Jalen Suggs, so it's like it's not like they're dying at any position, right? I do think they're going to spend their money. I do think they they saw themselves as a 500 team last year that would like to to get in the in the playoffs, like in the back end of the playoffs or the play in. I don't know what their target will be because if it's not a point guard, this free agency class is not awesome. Which is why I keep coming back to one random name. Are you ready for what it is? Can't wait. The amount of Max Struess buzz right now is ridiculous and indicative of how weak this free agency class is. And no disrespect to Max Struess, who's really good and is an ace shooter who moves his feet well on defense and is tough as hell. Hashtag heat culture. So all the, undrafted. All the teams, Max Struess is getting the mid-level exception. There are, I think, a, a few teams at the very least who would give Max Struess the real, the big mid-level exception. Cleveland is a team that stands out to me as like an obvious need for a wing shooter. All of those teams are looking around and they're scared that someone with cap room is going to trump that offer. It's going to beat them just by a million or two a year. That's all it takes. I don't know who that team is. Some people think it's Indiana. I don't, I'm not sure it's Indiana. They got a lot of guards and wings. I would guess it's not Indiana who just drafted their power forward of the future and Jairus Walker and I think is content to just kind of see what they have. They'll dabble. They'll dabble. If they can get a, another veteran, not even a veteran. I don't know if they want an older veteran, but they'll dabble. I wonder if it's Orlando, who's coy as all hell, if only because if you can't decide what position you really want to fill, you just default to let's get a shooter in here because we never have shooting. Let's just see what it feels like to have a real shooter. I don't know what they're going to do. You, you like them for Van Vliet? I like the magic for Van Vliet. Uh, one of the interesting things in this in this league, when you're a team like Orlando, any of these young teams where like, all right, you've been you've been in the muck forever. You finally hit on a couple of picks. You have the outline of a team that 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 should be could be kind of is on the rise. When do you press the gas pedal and say it's time to to spend and on which players, right? And like, is this the off season where you say it's time to to add some veterans to this core? Or do you do you give it a little bit more time to marinate? You know, Fultz and Cole Anthony, like they're fine, but I think the consensus around the league is that those guys are are best as like both of them as a third guard. Um, Fultz is also expiring after this year. I should I should mention that, yeah. which could be a wild card here. And and it's great the way he's rebuilt his career. It's it's fantastic. Um, but the Magic, you know, have have at some point an urgency. I don't know if it's right now, but at some point there's an urgency to say, okay, let's let's. Let's figure out how far this new core can go and what it needs. And 
getting a point guard who pulls it all together and especially like Van Vliet, like there's just so many teams over the last several years and, you know, over the course of his time with uh, Toronto and the last time he was a free agent several years back where you look around, you think like, oh man, how many teams could use a Fred Van Vliet? And not just because of a certain amount of skill, the skill set, but like natural leader, outspoken, smart dude, great in the locker room, character guy, um, plays hard. It like every, every, especially a young team, like that's the guy I want to pull it all together, right? I, I, and there, maybe there's another version of that somewhere around the league. He's the guy who's available right now. It's it feels like the right fit to me. Interesting. I don't know what's going to happen with Fred VanVleet. Wouldn't surprise me if he went back to Toronto. Wouldn't surprise me if he's a Rocket. Magic wouldn't surprise. I don't know. I don't know. I like the idea of him in Utah. I haven't heard boo about that. By the way, we didn't really hit, talk about this much on the John Collins thing. Are you at least a little bit surprised that that after 752 consecutive days of him being on the trade market, that it's Rudy Gay in a second round pick? I mean, we but they blew it. I mean, this is like a classic case of like they tried to trade him for too long. They waited. Agreed. They waited till they were under such a financial crunch. They had no leverage. And after he had one of one of his worst seasons, uh, I'm I remain a believer He's got some issues as a player, but I like John Collins. But yeah, I mean, they there were multiple times where they could have or got close to getting a first round pick for him, um, including at the trade deadline two seasons ago with Sacramento. There was a Harrison Barnes plus top five protected Kings pick, which wouldn't have conveyed because it, the Kings ended up getting the fourth pick and picking Keegan Murray. Um, you know, remember Collins was almost going to Phoenix before they got Durant. I think Phoenix was going to send out they, they were going to send out some kind of better draft compensation than was yeah. received here. Um, but I mean, this Atlanta had to do something because they got too much money. They got Sadiq Bay. They want to pay. They got Hunter on the wing. They got, they, they have a Kongu and Capella. So it, it's just an unreal squandering of, of an asset. Like whatever you think of his play, his contract, some, you know, you know, there's, there's always a little bit of, 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 you know, murmurings around the league about just what he's like to play with whatever whatever the concerns may be you got to get more than that and and maybe they couldn't at this late stage or maybe you just shouldn't take phone calls from Danny Ainge well you know a a team I heard at least had some relatively serious internal discussions about should we wade into the John Collins thing and I don't know if they contacted Atlanta or how serious it got was Milwaukee and that's interesting to me because I do think Milwaukee is looking around for like, can we get a little just injection of randomness, injection of like bounce and athleticism and just change, maybe just change more than anything else. But I don't think that went anywhere serious. And I think Phoenix even looked at him again this time around. and just doesn't have anything left after trading Beal. But the Milwaukee one is interesting because, you know, I'd bet pretty good money on Middleton going back to the Bucks on a reasonable uh, new contract. The Brooke Lopez one is the one I can't figure out. How much of a flight risk is he really? Is he actually going to like end his career potentially in Houston? Is he just going to take Houston's money and hope to end his career something else, somewhere else? Um, is Houston that eager to just, yes, we need a starting center. We're not going to start Shengun, and we just need to be competent so badly this year that we will pay 35-year-old Brooke Lopez? All of this stuff is very confusing to me, and when I'm confused... I tend to default to the simplest solution, which is he'll probably go back to Milwaukee, but there it's, it's a, it's a strange one. That's an Occam's razor kind of thing, right? Uh, like yeah. the, um, 
I, I can't remember who I had this conversation with the other day, but we were talking about the idea of Brooke Lopez in Houston and just how quickly he would just completely lose his because of the way those young guys play. Well, but not if Fred Van Vliet's there with them or veteran sure. X and veteran Y. It's sure. a different equation, right? A absolutely. But if it's if it's him there with that backcourt um, and the way that they play and just how how just loose and unorganized and just everybody's just kind of in it for themselves, like that would drive Brooke Lopez up the wall. He, I'm he, pushing he back might, on this. Yeah. I'm pushing back on this. All right. I, I'm all in for Jabari Smith Jr. I think Jalen Green is going to be really good. I know he's polarizing, and he's frenetic, and his defense has a long way to go. I just think he's about the right stuff, and I like. I think he's going to be really, really good. I'm not as I'm higher on Houston's young core, even excluding the Whitmore and Amon Thompson, mm -hmm. than most people are. But yes, youth is frenetic. Brooke Lopez is the opposite of frenetic, and so it would be an odd match of Brooke Lopez being like. I'm dropping back in a pick and roll. I got everything covered. Like, all you got to do is do this and you do that. Wait, you guys don't understand this? Like, but Ime Odoka will introduce, I don't know. He'll introduce yeah. some discipline. I don't, you know, we'll be better. They'll be better. I just thought it was funny that it was, this was, you know, somebody from another front office speculating on, you know, the Brooke Lopez uh, ire level potentially there. Anything else you wanted to hit on any of this? Uh, I think, I think we have hit um, all the highlights. So I've, I've, uh, it's June 27th. Yeah. Free agency begins. It's it's 11.53 in the morning on June 27th. I believe free agency, quote unquote, begins on June 30th at 6 Eastern time. So how many hours is that away? Like 79 or something like that? 78? I, uh, whatever. I, it's too much math for me. Sounds about right. It, it's 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 close. It's very close. I can't keep track of where the, of when free agency opens anymore because it used to be you would just, oh, it's July 1st. Every year it's July 1st. But it's July 1st in the East, but it was actually 9 o'clock Pacific. And then the league, to address that and also to give your network the chance to do uh, cool TV shows about free agency opening, moved it up. But I thought it was 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific, but now it's 6 Pacific, so it's 3. No, it's I mean, 6, 6 Eastern. Eastern. 6 Eastern, and, 2 and Pacific. Pacific. Yeah, that's really early. You know Pacific. what that is? Civilized civilized <laughs> all of these like yeah we're going out to dinner with our free agency target at one in the morning is oh like my God. what are we doing there, i don't i don't have to chase the news in in the the roles i've played for various outlets over the last 10 years frankly but it, when i was at the new york times and july 1st would hit and it was still the old when the clock turns to july at midnight eastern and so you would be up and you're on you've got the phone and the computer and everything. And you've got editors who are like, well, we might be able to make this addition at 1 a.m. if Dwight Howard decide or whatever it may be. You um, sound like you're talking about the 1920s right now. You realize that, right? Like your, your desk <laughs> phone rings. Hey, I got a big scoop. I got a big A1 scoop. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, I got, I got a big A1 scoop here. And then I threw my fedora against the wall and I pulled out a flask of whiskey from my bottom drawer <laughs> as I chomped on a cigar. Carlos Boozer, put it on the front page. Carlos Boozer, leaving the Cavs. That's uh, tremendous. Uh, all right, well, we got some time. Howard Beck, uh, where where should we look for your stuff in the in in the coming weeks? Please brief us. Uh, still GQ Sports, GQ dot com. Uh, still across the Locked On Podcast Network. But I think this is the first time I'll be saying this out loud. On a podcast. I right, well, hold on. I got an A1 scoop on Howard Beck. <laughs> it is possible, possible 
I may have my own podcast sometime soon, somewhere. Keep stay tuned. Follow That's me. That's it. Out. I can't run that story. That's not a story. <laughs> Put it on uh, the top of the business section instead of the top of the the front. Um, we're getting close to something, uh, but it's it's too soon to say. Well, that's great news. Uh, we all love your content. You're a valuable voice across the NBA ecosystem. I will see you in Las Vegas, and uh, beverages will be had. Regrettable oh, yes. takes will be made, and oh, yes. uh, and headaches will be suffered the next morning. I'm, Howard uh, Beck, everybody. I'm, I'm scouring tiki bars as we speak. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Zach.